0: to get caught up a little bit. Um, Three weeks ago, we dealt with the fifth seal, which was a key one because of the content of that seal really is the tell-all of the seals. It it speaks to what the seals are and what the seals are not. Um, And for those that want to place the seals into the... um, realm of God's wrath, of God's judgment, we have a problem. The problem is is that uh, there in the the fifth seal, God makes it very clear, and heavenly residents make it very clear that God's judgment has not begun. Uh, The question is asked, how long until you judge, till you avenge our blood? And uh, again, uh, God's answer was, to rest a little while. So let's go ahead and look at this. Bring it in here a little tighter. So we have the four horsemen going to and fro, ongoing activity of the church age. We have the fifth seal, the breaking of it, which produces the martyrs. Um, and again, that's going on throughout the church age. And their state, the statement is, rest a little while longer. Uh, and specifically, how much longer? Until the number who would be killed as you is completed. So we have to wait till there's a completion of the martyrs before we can really press on. And that's where we have been now for some time. Uh, We we took a break for Thanksgiving for our soup and salad. And then we moved into last week looking at the sixth seal. And so we saw that uh, the fifth seal was critical. It tells us that the seals are not part of God's wrath. um, Just as critical as the fact of the... um, horsemen going to and fro upon the earth is the uh, statement by God to rest a little while longer. So we have a chronological indicator, uh, instruction, that uh, we have a time uh, gap now. Not a gap, but, a, but some time between the fifth and sixth seal that we uh, need to wait upon. And within that is the church age, of course. And so we saw uh, that, that's uh, several weeks ago, and this moves us down. Did you see what was in between these two? Do you want me to back up? Did it happen too fast? There you go. So we go from the fifth seal. We're going to jump to the sixth seal, which was last week. In between there was the church age. And uh, this is going to close out the church age of the sixth seal that we studied last week. And the breaking of that sixth seal is, as we saw last week, oh, it was in the wrong place. Oh, no. All right, let's see if it'll take... Ah, it broke. Oh, good. And it produces some celestial events um, cataclysmic global events really. We have the moon turning in blood, the sun and stars falling from the sky. Uh, we have great earthquakes and we have um, all of this occurring uh, again, no indication that we are not here. In fact Jesus makes it pretty clear that we still are here as well as this narrative that uh, the believers will see all these things. Don't let it be troubled to you. Um, in the midst of all of this cataclysm and remember, we talked about the fact that uh, in the Hebrew and Greek language, um, there was no distinguishment between stars, comets, meteors. There, there wasn't uh, verbiage, really, that would uh, isolate those like we use today. And uh, so it's not likely that stars are falling, but uh, heavenly bodies are coming to Earth, whether it's uh, meteorite, comet, uh, What else? Asteroid hit, whatever. Something's coming from space, <laughs> and uh, we find the disrupted atmosphere. We have the earthquakes. We have a lot of stuff happening. In the midst of that, something very important is also happening, which also tells us something. It's a, it's an evidence. There's um, in the midst of all this disrupted atmosphere, it, it within this unnatural cloudiness, and we sing about uh, on a. Well, the actual song is on a. Unclouded day, uh, which doesn't fit it. Uh, But we talk about Christ coming in the clouds, and we think of normal puffy white clouds, or maybe you know a storm cloud. But it's really uh, this is an unnatural event. This is uh, a cloud cover that is the direct result, really, of a lot of the cataclysm that has just occurred. And within the midst of the clouds, we are told in the sixth seal last week that the Son of Man will be seen. We saw that in Matthew 24, 29, and 30. We did not read verse 31. We're going to get there tonight. Um, no, I'm not. I'm going to get there next week, sorry. Uh, so we're going to get, But we saw that here everyone saw the sign of the Son of Man, the Son of Man in the clouds. And so as they looked in the air, seeing all of this global catastrophe coming down, they see the clouds roll back and there is the Son of Man. They see Him in, on His throne, it says in Revelation there. They see Him on the throne they, they, and they realize who it is. They said, oh no, it's, it's the Lamb. It's the wrath of the Lamb has come and they are dismayed. They are, they are, they are horribly um, frightened and this is a different attitude that we're going to see later on in the book of Revelation, and we're going to try to account for that tonight a little bit, um, and why it is necessary. This is going on at the conclusion of the church age, that the sixth seal essentially um, is the event that concludes this age. And uh, so they see the sign of Son of Man. They're looking up, they see him. They see the Lamb is how it's described in Revelation. In Matthew, it's the term, the Son of Man. They see Him in the clouds. Um, This is not a secret event. This is not uh, an instantaneous event. Remember last week, we talked about the Thessalonian passage that says in the twinkling of an eye um, that something's going to happen. Well, it's not the entire rapture event that happens in a twinkling of an eye. It's the transformation of us from this flesh to our spiritual bodies. That that translation will happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, that we will cease to be of this flesh and receive our new bodies. Um, not the entire rapture event is going to happen in a twinkling of an eye. And that's often been portrayed um, by speakers, by movies, books and things like that, that you know, life is just going to be normal, and so boom. And um, it's just going to be un unnormal. Well, it is going to be abnormal, but it's going to be abnormal on a very different scale than just the fact that some people disappeared. Um, yes, it's going to be people working in the field. One's left, one's taken. Um, that all, it's going to be suddenness, no doubt. But that suddenness is really initiated by this kind of activity, not by the absence of the church. And again, how long are we going to endure this? Not very long, we're going to see tonight and next week. And so we're really wrapping this up as, as the big coming event. And so I'm going to take my time very deliberately with them and make sure that we're on board with understanding that all men, there's enough time for people to not only experience the disruption uh, of nature, but also to see the sign of the Son of Man. They're, they are able to see Him on His throne, recognize Him as such. Which is a phenomenal thing, if you think about it, that men of the earth are all going to recognize who this is and what it is. Um, And that tells us something. That tells us that we haven't gotten into the period of the great delusion. Remember, the Thessalonians tells us that once that day comes, that God will send a great delusion so that they have to believe the lie. So they're not going to recognize that. They're not going to do this kind of activity of, of humbling themselves, of being fearful. Um, that's really not going to be found the rest of the book of Revelation. We're going to find defiance. We're going to find rebellion. We're going to find hatred. We're going to find, we, we can beat you. you know, we've got the weapons to take you on. We have that kind of an attitude later on in Revelation, really starting in the next few chapters, uh, we're going to see that attitude. But here we have a fearfulness and a recognition of what's going on. And that tells me that we're in a period of time when um, there's still some activity of the Holy Spirit going on to enable them to have this. Now, we don't find repentance. We just find fear. But a recognition of this is the Son of God. This is um, the Lamb. This is, and it's the time of His wrath. Remember, that's men saying God's wrath has come, not God. And so they haven't seen the wrath of God. They just imagine this is it. But this isn't it. There's a lot more to come uh, as we're going to see. So that was where we were at um, last week. And so now we want to press on past the sixth seal into what is happening during the sixth seal. You notice we're still in the clouds. We're still... Ken put this together so that I can show you that this is... So much a single event that I can't move down the timeline. I don't want to move the timeline forward. Because these events are happening pretty much simultaneously, but in a very deliberate order. In other words, this occurs then the next, then the next, for a very important reason, theologically, as we're going to see tonight, really. And so, in the midst of this event, something else is going to happen. And so let's start reading in chapter 7 of uh, of Revelation. And we'll read uh, through verse 8. It says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, and the winds should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, one hundred and forty-four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, Twelve thousand were sealed of the tribe of Manasseh. Twelve thousand were sealed of the tribe of Simeon. Twelve thousand were sealed of the tribe of Levi. Twelve thousand were sealed of the tribe of Issachar. Twelve thousand were sealed of the tribe of Zebulun. Twelve thousand were sealed of the tribe of Joseph. Twelve thousand were sealed of the tribe of Benjamin. Twelve thousand were sealed. Pretty deliberate. Now I want to take you forward to see some further information about these twelve thousand. No, 12 tribes, 12,000 of each tribe, sorry, 144,000. So if you'll take to go to Revelation 14, verses 1 through 5, we're going to read this, and I'm going to reference back and forth between these two passages tonight quite frequently. I think it's best if we read them right now together. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song, that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men being first fruits to God and to the Lamb and in their mouth was found no deceit for they are without fault before the throne of God. So these are the, what we find within the context of this breaking of the sixth seal we have a suspension uh, of what's certainly on the immediate horizon. On the immediate horizon is God's wrath. We know that people on earth recognize that the wrath of the Lamb has come. Um, we know because we've read the rest of the book that that's what's being ready to be unloaded on us. Um, but there's a suspension. In the midst of all this activity, this rapid fire series of, of activity that we saw at the end of chapter 6, we find uh, a statement saying, wait, 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 wait. Just hold on a second. Hold on one second. Stay right where you are. We have something to take care of before we move forward. Before we can move into whatever's going to happen next, there's something else that God wants taken care of. He wants it settled. He wants this accomplished. And so he has the seal of God. We find out in chapter 14, what is the seal of God? It's his name. It's the name of God that is going to be sealed on their forehead. And so we can put the tetragrammaton up there, the... um, uh, however we pronounce it, Jehovah, Yahweh, however you want to pronounce those four Hebrew letters that we don't really know how to pronounce, but uh, um, there they are. And so um, whether it's that name or another name, that is what is, is sealed upon their forehead is the name of God. And so they are going to be set aside, and it says in verse 3, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. That this is there, there's a unique work of God, and it is getting done um, in the midst of the very concluding minutes, at least uh, maybe hours, but probably minutes, seconds of the church age. In the very concluding moments of the presence of Holy Spirit on the earth, um, God does this unique redemptive work. Still, um, is not special in terms of being distinct from the work of Christ. Because we're going to see when we get to the singing uh, later on in in the bowl judgments in in chapter 15 and such, we're going to see within the song that only the 144,000 sing that it's not really a new song. It's just kind of a new song. And only these 144,000 can sing it. Now remember, the singing is all tied to the redemptive work of Christ. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Remember that? Back in... Uh, Chapter 5, where the song changed in heaven. Well, there's going to be a seemingly kind of a new song, but it's not really a new song because it's still singing about Jesus Christ. It's just a tandem song. It is a combination of the Old Testament song of chapter 4 and the New Testament song of chapter 5, and it's kind of melded together. And so these 144,000 are a very unique group. There is no other category to put them into, um, but they need to be set aside. They're not part of the bride, the church, because they're going to remain on earth. But they need to be set aside to God before the church leaves, because with us will go Holy Spirit, according to the Thessalonians, that uh, He'll be be removed. He's going to go with us. And so this special seal of God on their forehead is going to set them apart. It's a marker. Now, Let's see if I can. How do I do this, Ken? Let's back up. There we go. Okay. Can I zoom out farther? Huh. Now zoom. Oh, but now they're going to see the church age. I'm going to back up even farther. Can I get past this one? No. Is he going to let me go back here? Well, that's just a bummer. Ha-ha. Almost. One more. There we go. This is what I want to compare it to. This event. Do you remember this event? Passover. God says, the last and the most horrible of my judgments on Egypt is coming. I'm going to kill the firstborn male in every home. Unless the house looks like this. And it doesn't matter who's inside. (laughs) If the house door looks like this, I'll pass over them. And we know that some Egyptians did this. Because it says a mixed multitude left Israel. And so there were a lot of Egyptians who believed, I mean, after nine plagues, you think you'd get it. And a few of them did. A goodly number of them got it. And they're like, well, if the Israel people are doing this, I'm doing it because I'm with them. I don't want to be counted with Pharaoh anymore. And so this was the seal of, on the doors that protected the inhabitants of it from this work of God against Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. And I would like to compare what's happening to the 144,000 to this act. That this seal um, doesn't... It, it's not God indiscriminately deciding that he's going to save these people. We're going to find in the list of them that there's some evidence in their life that, that he's made a difference in their life, that they are truly followers of the land. They're described that way. Uh, disciples, but not church-age disciples. They're going to be linked to this, to this seal that God has put on them so that no injury will come upon them in the midst of the outpouring of his wrath um, in the next seven, three and a half years. <clears throat> I say three and a half years because there's really no indication they're going to survive much longer than that. Not because God will kill them, but because the man of sin will wage war against them. And we're going to, the next time we're going to visit these people, after chapter 14, we find them as a redeemed group, resurrected and in heaven, which means that they had to have all died. So they aren't going to be translated. Uh, they, many people associate their, their slaughter with the killing of the two witnesses. That We're going to get to that later on. Um, But what's important is that this seal uh, is not some work of God that's uh, capricious. It's just he has has selected, um, but it was born out of their relationship with him, these 12,000 men from each tribe, um, to be his witnesses in the first half of the Day of Wrath. And again, I don't believe it's to the whole world, but specifically to Israel. Because remember, God's plan with Israel isn't closed. Israel is still redeemable even throughout the seven years of his wrath and particularly at the end of it. And so um, this is a very uh, Jewish thing. This is a very Israelite thing that we're going to be looking at, um, which is why they have a different song. All right, how do I get out of this? All right, we're going to jump forward here. There we go. I'm going to catch back up. So we have the 144,000 sealed um, to set them apart, to guard them um, from what's coming. They are not going to be removed from the earth. They are not technically part of the church age, but this has to happen while the Holy Spirit is still there uh, working in their hearts, And in, whether it's in the identification realm or uh, the conviction realm. He's there working in their hearts and God's going to identify them by placing his name upon their forehead. And so we find in those two references, Revelation 7, 1-8, which we read, and 14, 1 through 5 we have this group described for us. So let's look at it a little bit. Who are they? Well, they are all, they're from 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, I didn't put from the 12 tribes of Israel because it's kind of an odd list. Um, did you notice anything odd about the list of tribes? Many people made a lot, a lot, a lot of deal out of this. Um, I'm not going to make a big, big deal of because it it's a pretty Jewish thing. And I don't know that it has so much to do with us. If you were Jehovah's Witnesses, this would be really important. If you were some other people that felt that you were uh, part of the 144,000 somehow is comprised of, of believers from the church age, then that's important to you. Um, but I don't think it, it's as critical to our study so I'm not going to dwell on it but you'll notice that there's a tribe called Joseph that should um, wave a little flag at you. Why? Yeah, it was Joseph's two sons that were named as tribe. It was Manasseh and Ephraim. Those are the two tribes of, of that were given uh, designated uh, inheritances and we have um, Manasseh listed here in, in uh, verse 6 uh, 12,000 were sealed the tribe of Manasseh um, and then we have Joseph and so who is this Joseph and um, again we go through the list and what are the, what's the other tribe you're looking for Ephraim do you see it and so Joseph essentially in my reckoning is simply that replacement for Ephraim Ephraim Um, But we find that uh, many people made much to do about the one missing tribe here. Uh, And I don't know that we need to do that. Um, Obviously, when you take 12 sons, you take one and split him, you have more than 12 tribes, don't you? How many tribes do you have? 13. But we always talk about the 12 tribes of Israel. And so, obviously, there's one missing here. We're not going to focus on it. And, And I know others have. Um, again, of the 12 tribes here, um, God's going to seal 12 out of each one, 12,000 out of each one. And so these are not um, church people. Um, they are never described in context of the local church. They are always described in the context of their relationship with Israel. Um, they are talked about that they, have, they, have, they are pure men. They are men who are virgins. They have not... Uh, uh, Engaged with uh, women at all, and so we find that uh, uh, this is repeat. Now, some people have tried to spiritualize this that they have not bowed down to false gods, um, but they but uh, the description includes it two different ways. And whenever the Bible goes out of its way to do that, um, we have to conclude that it's pretty literal. It says they are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Um, I don't know how much more clearly you can say a fact than those two ways. And so they have not known women, um, they are virgins, and uh, that's one attribute that they carry. So if, the, if, if you want to make 144,000 some kind of community of the church, again, it's isolated to 144,000 men. Um, And and by the way, what is the big cult that uh, the 144,000 is a big, 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 big deal to? The Jehovah's Witnesses. So the Jehovah's Witnesses, what they teach is that this 144,000 are the only people that are going to heaven. Wow. Well, that worked out really well in the early days of the Jehovah's Witness when there wasn't 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. But they grew past that because Christ didn't come when they thought they were... They thought as soon as they got to 144,000 followers of their movement that Christ would come. And of course, he didn't. And that group, they call the John class. uh, And uh, referring to this revelation to John by Jesus Christ. And so we find that they say, well, this John class, those are the only people that are going to heaven. And they still teach that. That is still their uh, belief system. They have not abandoned that. They've been pretty consistent in that. So whether you're reading the Watchtower or whatever, it's the 144,000 are the only ones who get to spend eternity in, in any kind of heaven with Christ. So what's the appeal to becoming a Jehovah's Witness now? Nothing? Not quite. Um, and by the way, I have their commentary on the book of Revelation. I have that. And so, um, and they have lots of pictures. Uh, The Jehovah's Witnesses are big um, publication people. Um, One of the largest printing houses in the world. And so, um, here's their offer. You follow their movement. Um, You have to survive till Jesus comes back. And then you get to live on the new earth and be ruled and reigned by the 144,000 who are ruling with Christ. You don't get to be part of that group. That group is closed. The 144,000, the John class is complete. And so, from a Jehovah's Witness perspective, um, your only hope is to live till Christ comes. Which means, what for a hospice nurse dealing with a Jehovah's Witness? You're coming to the very end of their hope. If you're dealing with a Jehovah's Witness on their deathbed, they have nothing to hope in. Because once they die, their opportunity, their chance to have any relationship with God is gone. And their teaching is that if you die in that state, you simply cease to exist just like everyone else. You have no hope. There's no afterlife for you. There's nothing. You just stop living. So the only ones that matter are the 144,000 original Jehovah's Witnesses and the ones that survive to see Jesus come. And to me, that's a pretty weak hope for them. But that's all Jehovah's Witnesses have. But we don't have that. So 144,000, we're not connecting to the church at all, to the church age. We're seeing it distinct for this special ministry in a very specific period of time and so we have a very specific group of people it says that they follow the lamb wherever he goes um, in chapter 14 um, and again we look at this and we say well where is the lamb um, that he's going and they're following him uh, these, they're, essentially they're redeemed from among men, first fruits to God and to the lamb they have this relationship to God and the Lamb of discipleship. They're following Him. And wherever He goes, they're going to go. They're going to follow His path, His His directives. And so they're obedient. They're going to follow the Lamb wherever, even into some pretty critical places where they're going to suffer martyrdom. And it says that their mouth is without guile and they live without fault. And so... These are men that are a testimony to the people around them. Now the question is why? Why do they exist? And I alluded to it earlier, um, the purpose of the 144,000 is critical for one group of people during the seven years of the outpouring of God's wrath, and that is the nation of Israel. God still has even in the midst of the time of Jacob's trouble, a plan for them. They are still going to have an opportunity to respond to their Messiah. They need to survive, though. They need to survive these seven years. And, they're not, and if they're not part of this number of men, that's going to be a trick. That's going to be tough. Um, these men are witnesses, I think, primarily to Israel to prepare them for the Messiah. And, of course, they're going to meet a lot of resistance. They're going to meet opposition from the global community. Uh, They are going to be martyred, of course. We're going to see that um, as we get farther along Revelation. But they have a purpose, and their purpose is to be set aside for this unique ministry. And it ties into God's um, economy of grace. That in each period, there is a mechanism by which God communicates his truth to men. Not always to provide for their redemption. Sometimes simply to condemn them. And you might say, well, why does God need to do that? And and I don't know that I have the answer to that other than to say that God has determined that He will always do that. He will always provide men an opportunity to condemn themselves by hearing the truth and not responding. And so we have had several times in history where that has happened, right? Do you know of a a time or two in history where the opportunity was there and no one responded? Yet, the preaching occurred. Times of Noah. In fact, Jesus said, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. Men are going to be going about their own business and suddenly, wham! Sudden destruction is going to come. Um, Something big is going to happen. Uh, In the time of Noah, what was going on for... All the years, decades, it was a century or something that Noah was building the ark. He wasn't just building, was he? The Bible says he preached that whole time. He preached to the people. God's judgment is coming. Repent, 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 repent. For a hundred years, you hear this old guy. Um, and he was old. I mean, I don't know if he looked you know, as old as John over there or anything, but um, I'm sure he had all his hair. It was before the fall, so they were, none of them were bald. Um, no, they all were, because of was perfect scalps. Um, repent. For a hundred years they heard that, and no one repented. So why preach? Because even when God had determined to destroy everybody except for Noah and his family, he declared that. Yet he wanted the word spoken. And it specifically says, My spirit will not strive with men. That is, um, Noah's preaching, while it was powerful and directive, um, it was not accompanied by the Holy Spirit's work of conviction. And so men were on their own. And on their own, men rejected it. And similarly, the 144,000 are going to be this witness to largely Israel, but really to the whole world as well, that uh, they've rejected God. They've rejected the Messiah. They've rejected the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that that's where they need to turn. And they're going to do it through this uh, life that they lead uh, for at least three and a half years. How far into the second half they're going to survive um, we, is really conjecture. Um, but certainly by the time we get to the bulls, they are already ready to be resurrected. So they've already died by then, uh, been murdered. And so we find their ministry, their purpose is to um, follow the Lamb. They are first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Uh, in their mouth there's no deceit, They're without fault before the throne of God. Um, they have a purpose, and their purpose is to be instruments of God's declaration of His grace and mercy and goodness. Granted, everyone's going to hate them. No one's going to respond. No one is going to respond. No one. Zero. But they're going to pursue it to their death. Um, by the way, they aren't the only agents. There's another agent that's going to show up that's going to fly around the whole earth and preach the gospel. And no one will respond by faith, believing. No one. Zero as an angel, a messenger, is going to come and circumvent the earth with the gospel. And no one responds. And so, why? Why do all this? Because in God's economy, um, men need these opportunities to hear and with a possibility of responding. And this is how God functions and works. These are the principles by which He operates. And so 144,000 serve a very important role during this time, and that is mainly for national Israel to hear the truth and recognize that they have a choice. So you're Israel. This event has just happened. Let's back up to this event. This event has just occurred. 144,000 have to be sealed. They're sealed before the church gets out of here, because I believe God has to be instrumental to do that before we leave. Um... What, do they have, what are they confronted with from this point on? They're confronted with a choice between two people. Two groups of people, if you will. They have a choice between a guy who's promised them peace and promising to build their temple on the temple mount, promising them everything, a seven-year treaty, the man of sin, who's lying to them. They have a choice between him and listening to these guys, the 144,000. They're going to make the wrong choice, but they have the choice. God gives it to them. He gives them these witnesses, and you can't say, you know, oh, my tribe wasn't... Yes, you had people from your tribe there. They did their work, and so you had opportunity. There was plenty of witnesses. This is a whole lot more witnesses than we see in the Old Testament period um, when it was down to just a, a few hundred at one point. Um, Remember, Elijah thought it was down to just him. Uh, God says, oh, I've got several thousand who haven't bent the knee. 144,000 is a pretty large number. Um, They have a choice. You either follow him or you follow us as we follow the Lamb. We're giving you a choice between the man of sin and the Lamb of God that you saw in the clouds not so long ago. You saw him, and we are here to testify of him and to live before you as his followers. You saw him. And you're choosing between that man who is against Christ, Antichrist, and the Lamb. That we are his representatives on earth. And that's their goal, their purpose, their objective. But it's critical that we realize the placement of their sealing, of this work of sealing them, um, is in the midst of all of this. That there is a society Suspension of activity so that that could have happened. So in the midst of all this chaos create, generated by the sixth seal breaking in the midst of all of that chaos there had to be this event a suspension of activity to make sure this gets done before the next thing gets done. Critically theologically important that this gets done before the actual end of the church age. Because the Holy Spirit needs to be involved in this process. And he's going to go with us. And we're going to look at that a little bit probably next week when we get into Thessalonians and other passages to explain why that's necessary. Um, But this is who they are. This is their purpose. They are not linked to the church directly, nor do we look for a group within uh, the church age to fulfill that role. Um, We're just not looking for that. Neither do they represent a group of people that respond to the gospel after the rapture. These people are sealed bef- before God sends the angels to gather his elect in Matthew chapter 24. They're sealed in that very uh, suspended time. Hold on, hold on, just wait. Everybody stay put. We got this one thing to get done before we move forward. You can almost see the We need need some witnesses. We need these for Israel's sake. Because Israel needs to be ready for her Messiah when when he comes. And so God has set aside 144,000, 12,000 from all 12 tribes to be his witnesses. We're going to seal them before we go on. And that's going to protect them from everything coming from God. Just like the blood on the doorpost and lintel at Passover protected that house. So this seal of the name of God on their forehead is going to protect them um, from God's wrath, not from the world's. They're going to be martyred from the world, but not experience any of God's wrath. And how angry will that make everybody? (laughs) They're getting lumped on by God, and these people walk around immune. Immune. Nothing bad happens to these people. Nothing touches them. None of the diseases. None of the critters. None of the fires. Nothing touches these guys. And instead of joining them, though, they have animosity towards them because the spirit of this age, of the seven years, is going to be one of of antagonism and and hatred and rebellion uh, on a level that I don't know that we're even. Maybe we're just beginning to see. The spirit of what we see going on in ISIS and in Ferguson, that is the perfect spirit for what we're waiting to see when Christ comes In the aftermath of it. We're not going to see humility. We're not going to see humanity helping each other. We're going to see antagonism everywhere and blame. So 144,000, we're going to finish this up next week and uh, look at uh, uh, the passages that deal with the uh, Holy Spirit with regard to them. And so this is all in one event. And so we have this in the midst of this going on. Hold on, let's get this job done before we move on. And uh, and then we're going to see there's one other thing that has to happen in the midst of this. I hope I get to it next week, but if I don't, that's okay we'll get to it the week after, if the Lord tarries, if the seal doesn't get broken before then. There you go. Any questions tonight? I want to study 144,000. A lot of weird stuff out there being taught about these guys that I'm trying to avoid. Help you avoid. Yes, Yeah, I think that's they have to, they have to understand their role. And it's evident that they do. They do understand what their role is by the time we get to chapter 14. Um, whether that is communicated to them at this point as part of the sealing, um, I would contend it very likely is. So like, they 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 responded other than the qualifications that are described, in the, that they are men undefiled by women, who are without fault and, and there are no guile, no, no guile, uh, deceit in their mouth, and are willing to follow the Lamb. Okay. Yeah, the evidence is that they they know who they are, they know who each other are, and they know their purpose. Yes. The twelve tribes of Israel. Um, so there, and even to even to this day, there is a lot of concern about following genealogy. Um, the twelve tribes of Israel from the Old Testament. That's where these guys are all coming from. Not out of the Old Testament, but even to this day, we are they are carefully cataloging. And, and genetics has been huge in Israel. They have been cataloging everyone's genetic pool to figure out what tribe everyone is from. And they have it down. Um, And they're identifying tribes. In fact, when they started the nation of Israel, um, they were going to call it the nation of Judah. And they met and they decided, no, Judah, because it was the nation for the Jews. Well, Jews are the Judites of one tribe. That's only one tribe of Israel. The Jews are, when you say the word Jews, you're really only referring to one tribe of, of Israel, and that's Judah. Um, Israelites are all of them. So when they were talking about naming their country, there was some discussion that says, no, 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 we want to name it Israel because we want it to be for all the tribes. And so there's 12 tribes of Israel, correct out of the Old Testament, and uh, they are still going to be present on the earth in terms of people, whether they're going to be identified. In other words, uh, right now, um, there are some who can be identified and are really into it. Uh, If you go to Israel today, they will give you opportunity, if you're uh, an Israelite, to identify yourself, and they'll do genetic testing to draw you back into what tribe you're from. Uh, Particularly important, what tribe are they really concerned about? Two of them, really. Levi. They want to find the tribe of Levi uh, and they are very interested in setting aside uh, those of, uh, of Aaron's line for the priesthood. So they want to know who the Levites are. And they are setting them aside. And they are identifying them as a very active uh, scientific work going on in Israel right now in that respect. Um, what other tribe are they concerned about? Judah. That's the kingly tribe. So we're concerned about Judah. Of course, we think of the southern kingdom of when the tribes separated, the southern kingdom was Judah. The northern ten tribes, southern two tribes. And we talk about the lost ten tribes. Well, they weren't really lost. That's what the Mormons, they describe themselves as the lost ten tribes of Israel. No, they weren't lost. They were just in dispersion. And so we're seeing them all come back um, and they have a different look about them because they've intermarried, but they're still genetically being able to identify what tribe they're coming from. And so um, one of the tribes, one of the groups that returned to Israel some time ago was, of all places, out of Myanmar. Well, they all looked like they were from Myanmar, but they were all actually Jewish, not Israelites. They were all Israelites. And genetically, they they had remained a separate community to some degree, and they had returned to Israel. And there is a whole community for them. And so when you talk about Israelites being spread out over the earth that are coming back, when you hear Netanyahu being castigated nowadays for building settlements for his people to live in on Israeli land, I don't get how you're not allowed to do that on your own land without being rebuked by our president. But can you imagine the prime minister of of Canada rebuking our president for building on the west side of Albuquerque. <laughs> That's what it's comparable to, okay? So they're building settlements because of all the tribes coming home. And, uh, and they are cataloging them, teaching them all Hebrew, um, and it's a phenomenal thing to see going on there. So those are the 12 tribes going all the way back to the Old Testament time of Israel. It was in the 70s when the John class closed. Yeah, I think it was like 70. I, I would just be pulling one out of the number, but it was in the 70s, I'm pretty sure. 74 or something like that. When the John class closed. You had to be an active Jehovah's Witness. And once they got to 144,000 of those, boom, door got shut. Even those, those are the only ones that have life after death. So those are all in heaven with Jesus getting ready to come and rule and reign. So they're a, they're a signed group, closed. They're in heaven. No one else who dies from now on gets to that privilege. Only those 144,000. <laughs> I, uh, I could have beaten that guy out if I just converted a little earlier. But it's kind of interesting because from what I can tell, they exclude the Apostles.